Hey, it's Brandon. Welcome to Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for the download today. This episode is brought to you by Zenny Char and The Escape Game. I'm really excited for today's episode. It's with Dr. Vince Molinaro. He's the author of The Leadership Contract and Accountable Leaders. We talk a little bit about Leadership Contract specifically because the Zenium leadership team read that book and we developed a leadership contract of ourselves and we just were really inspired by that book. So we touched a little bit on that. And by the way, I'll put a link to the leadership contract that Zenium developed in uh, the show notes so you can take a look at how we translated Dr. Vince Molinaro's work uh, into our, our own and adapted it for our leadership team. So in this episode, we're talking about accountable leaders, how you inspire people, get them to step up and take ownership and ultimately del- deliver results. You're going to love this episode. Dr. Vince Molinaro is fantastic in this episode. I know you'll enjoy it. So feel free to, to please reach out to me on uh, LinkedIn. Let me know what you thought about the episode. Uh, reach out to uh, Vince as well. I'm sure he, he would appreciate that as well. Uh, if you're not subscribed on Apple Podcasts or uh, Amazon Music or wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you get these episodes every Tuesday. Uh, and more importantly, if you're on Apple Podcasts, please give us a little five-star rating. Just click that button, write a review too. That would be very helpful. Thanks for the support. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Vince, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, Brandon. I really appreciate uh, the time to chat with you today. Yeah, I'm excited because we're going to talk about your new book, Accountable Leaders, Inspire a Culture Where Everyone Steps Up, Takes Ownership, and Delivers Results. But before we do that, I wanted to mention that a few years back, I actually had a conversation with a colleague of mine about The Leadership Contract, which is your first book and very popular book. We loved it so much that as a leadership team, we took that book and like created our own leadership contract, which is what you suggest in the book. And so we just absolutely love that. Before we dive into talking about your new book, Accountable Leaders, I thought maybe you would give listeners a chance if they haven't read The Leadership Contract. What is that book all about? And how does that tie into Accountable Leaders, your new book? Yeah, well, um, and thanks. I was so excited to hear that Yeah, you and your team uh, took the ideas and, and really made them real, which is ultimately why I do this. But to answer, you know, the question, I've uh, spent most of my career in the, you know, leadership industry, uh, and have had, you know, multiple roles and, uh, and I've seen over that period of time, a real evolution in how companies have been approaching, you know, how to build leadership, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to drive the success of their companies. And when we came out of the great, uh, as they would call it, the great financial crisis, you know, it's a, whenever we companies go through like we are now, uh, a, a real pivotal moment, they kind of reevaluate everything and, and they were reevaluating leadership development. And what I was starting to find was that this sort of growing frustration among CEOs and heads of HR where the, the, the problem came down to this. It was, 
listen, we're investing heavily in our leaders. Uh, we've got leadership development programs. We're partnering with business schools. We've got a whole slew of executive coaches, and we're not seeing it translate mm. into better leadership. In one particular uh, meeting I had with a head of HR and where I could visibly and viscerally feel her frustration. And at some point, you know, she said, like, we expect them to roll up their sleeves and tackle problems that we've got and, and you know, just get on top of issues. And they're just kind of standing around looking at, looking at each other. And she said, it's like they don't understand what it means to be a leader. Right. And as soon as I heard that, I said, okay, this is a different framing of a business problem. And as it often happens, you hear a problem really uh, articulated in a very specific way. And then it seemed like every other organization I went into, the same theme started coming up over and over again. And so it was like, there's clearly something happening here that we need to understand. And as I began to dive into it, this idea emerged because leadership is an area where there's a lot of great ideas. A lot of books are published on an annual basis. Not like we have a shortage of ideas. Uh, and also a shortage of ways in which to develop leaders, but something is happening between those ideas, those ways of developing leaders, and the translation into business results that were lacking. And what I began to realize was that this idea of a contract kept coming into my mind. And it's really quite simply, it says that a lot of times when people take on a leadership role, they don't realize they've actually signed up for something really, really important. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I call it a leadership contract because as human beings, anytime we encounter someone who is a leader, we immediately set them to a higher standard of behavior and expectation and accountability. We just do that as human beings. And so this contract, I believe, has always existed, but it's been hidden, it's been implicit, and what we need to do is help leaders understand what that means. And that was sort of the genesis of the book. And what I began to realize, like any contract, uh, it has to be explicit, right? So if you're, if you're buying a home, if you're signing a lease uh, you know, uh, to an apartment uh, or a lease uh, you know, on your car, there's actual papers you got to read and you've got to sign. Well, in the leadership contract, it's not like that. And when you ask leaders, how did you first get into a leadership role? The number one answer, everywhere I've been around the, on the planet, I got in by accident. Yep. I got in because I was a great technical performer, yep. or I got in because I had the most tenure. I was around longer than anyone. And then we put them into leadership roles. We don't support them. And some, some leaders will figure it out. And there are leaders who really want to be leaders and are devoted and committed to it, which is fine. But a lot of us get in for other reasons and don't really fully appreciate what we signed up for. So the four terms are, it's a deliberate decision that you have to make. You got to know yourself well enough to say, are you fully committed to being a truly accountable leader? Uh, the second piece is it comes with obligation and you've got to be clear on what your obligation is to leave things better for your customers, uh, stakeholders, shareholders, the communities in which you do business, your employees. It's a a lot of hard work. It's not an easy role to do well. And uh, easy if you want to be mediocre, much tougher if you want to excel and be exceptional at it. And the fourth term says that it's a community, that the new model of leadership is leaders working together with shared accountability to really drive uh, the business strategy and drive really solid business outcomes. And what we found is that immediately the, that idea resonated in the market. The book had great success. So it's a New York Times bestseller. And then we started really bringing these ideas into organizations you know, around the world. And what we began to learn was these organizations started saying, this is great. We need leaders to understand the leadership contract yeah. at an individual level. 
but we expect more. We expect them to do that individually, but they've got to know how to build accountable teams, how to work with leaders across the organization where sometimes that accountability is a bit vague and and unclear. And then organizationally, we've got to do a better job of supporting leaders uh, to be accountable. And so that really was then the the starting point for the newest book, Accountable Leaders. So between the leadership contract that first came out in 2013, and then it's been out in two editions and several translations, then I wrote the leadership contract field guide to help leaders take the ideas in that book and translate it day to day, I then wrote Accountable Leaders. So I I like joking around to say that this is like my nonfiction trilogy. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. What what I love about the leadership contract is it gives people a document and behaviors and all these things to live by and what it means to it defines what it means to be a leader so that you can actually hold people accountable to it. And that's where I think the second book or the I guess your third book really comes into play with accountable leaders, right? It's it's taking the leadership contract, building on that and holding people accountable to it. Yeah, it's exactly right because you know when leadership contract came out and we started working with organizations, we also started doing, you know, a, a ton of global research. And what we found was that you know, leadership accountability was a critical business issue. You know, of the companies we, we surveyed around the world, pretty much three out of four said it's critical, but only 31% were satisfied with the degree of accountability demonstrated by leaders. In fact, uh, only about 49% of leaders are seen as being truly accountable by the organizations that we surveyed. So this isn't all on leaders themselves. What we also found is that most organizations uh, have never set clear expectations of their leaders. They've never said, here's what it means to be a leader in our company. Here's where we're setting the standard and the bar, and here's what we expect you to behave towards, right? That's the standard. So when companies don't do that, then you you leave it up to leaders to kind of figure it out on their own. And why would you make what is already a tough role that much tougher? What we also learned, surprisingly, is that 80% of organizations admitted to knowing that they have leaders who are struggling in their roles and essentially being mediocre and knowing about them and not being able to do anything about it. Hmm. And, and that was quite, quite staggering because now what happens is when you know who the leaders are, you don't help them and they remain <laughs> mediocre. You basically condone it and send a message of we're going to tolerate mediocrity in our organization. And that's never good you know, for, for any company. Then we found some research on teams that 80% of teams are seen as being mediocre, only mm. 1% as being accountable. And from an organizational and culture level, 66% of companies say that they don't have the leadership culture they need to be successful. And to me, that just creates risk, you know, from a, from a company standpoint, from a, you know, from an execution standpoint. So, you know, that was some of the insights that really kind of validated a lot of the work. Yeah. So in the book, Accountable Leaders, right at the beginning, you wrote uh, in one form or another that accountability breeds accountability and just as mediocrity breeds mediocrity. So is that, is that what you're saying with this is like, if you, allow mediocre teams and leaders to exist, it will continue to breed more people like that. And it basically says it's okay to be a mediocre here. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. But the, the other thing that I've learned, right, in trying to solve this, this challenge that, that companies had between, you know, this challenge around investing in leadership, not see it translate into better leadership, which is what is the, the single most effective way 
for anyone in a leadership role to get better as a leader. Because, you know, in the industry, there are a ton of books and a ton of ideas on how to do that. And I've worked with leaders at all levels, and they'll, you know, kind of say, well, I'm not sure how I can translate this idea of being authentic or being vulnerable uh, or being compassionate. Those things are all important, but I'm not sure how it translates day to day in me being, you know, a more accountable leader. So what I found was that it's really, it's accountability that ultimately differentiates truly great leaders from the mediocre ones. And the test is quite simple, right? You know, I've not just written, researched, and advised on leadership. I've also had leadership roles. And if I'm really honest with myself, and I evaluate my role and say, Vince, are you accountable? On the whole, I'd say, yeah, Vince is pretty accountable. Okay, no argument there. Vince, is there more opportunity for you to be more accountable? Of course, right? Of course there is, right? And so the second you start leading with accountability, making that your focal point as a leader, you all start, you know, you start sending a signal to the rest of your team. Mm-hmm. They start understanding what really matters. And so that's the kind of ripple effect that accountability can have. So back to your point, accountability breeds accountability. And the flip side is mediocrity breeds mediocrity. And I think a lot of organizations don't fully appreciate the impact of the difference of the two. When you look at, because I know you've done this research and you mentioned it in, in the book as well, but you look at companies like Sears who are once giant companies just on top of the world and at one point were kind of disruptive to the retail space. When you look at why they f- fell apart so fast, like what did you learn about what's going on in the organization with its leaders? Well, I, I use that story in the book because uh, it was, um, you know, March 31st, 2014. I, I was in Toronto with a colleague having lunch at a popular restaurant. And, and this restaurant had a bank of windows uh, as one of the walls. And as we went, you know, were greeted to our table, I looked out and in the building right across this courtyard, two men were working at the, at the top of this roof and they were tearing down these letters of this iconic sign. Of course, oh. it was S E. A-R-S. And, you know, and everybody knows the white letters. But what was fascinating was that as they removed and pried each letter away from the building, there was um, kind of the the shadow of each letter still burned (laughs) onto the side of that building after decades and decades of of sun exposure. And they kind of represented to me like ghost or phantom letters of a once great company. And so I immediately took out my smartphone, took a photo of it. Little did I know when I started writing Accountable Leaders that that would become a pivotal story because at that moment in time, that store in Canada was its flagship store that shut down. You know, by 2016, by the end of 2016, every store in Canada shut down. 16,000 employees lost their jobs. Their pensions were at risk. And in the U.S., the same story was unfolding. And as I learned in the research in 2005, Sears had... 3,500 stores across the United States. Uh, Its stock was at its highest value ever in its history. And by December 20th of 2020, there were 69 stores left. 96% of the company value was eroded. Unbelievable. And the research uh, that I did, and when I looked at what analysts had to say, you know, everyone pointed to the retail apocalypse and pointed to all the disruption that you talked about that was happening in retail. And others were saying, that's, that's hogwash. That's not true. Because other companies like Walmart, like Costco and others, facing the same challenges, 
not only survived, but thrived in the face of it. They said they pointed it all to leadership and an effective leadership that ultimately was unable to turn around this great iconic company that, you know, had its roots in the late 1800s that began with this mail order catalog where you could buy almost anything and have it delivered to you. Sound familiar? It sounds very familiar. (laughs) And it's why I do this work. It pains me when you know i see a company and i see leaders unable to really deal with the complexity in their environment and then the tragic ending of what was this iconic company because they were an innovator right mail order catalog the first large department store where you could get anything under one roof the first retailer to have an online presence in 2000 with sears.com great brands like craftsman and kenmore you know appliances that my parents always bought because they last forever and you know i remember that kenmore as a kid in, in our house right and so to me it is tragic when that happens because of the jobs that are lost the value that's lost in terms of you know value in the community uh, economic value. And and that's kind of how I think about those stories, unfortunately. Hey, it's Brandon. We're going to take a quick break because I know you're looking for ways to build culture and lead a better team, especially remotely. And I found a great team builder for you that you can do completely virtually. It's called The Escape Game. The Escape Game is the top escape room company in the United States with 20 locations, and they call their virtual escape rooms Remote Adventures. These are real escape rooms that you could play anywhere over Zoom. How it works, you log into Zoom with your team. You'll meet your game host and your game guide. Your host gives you clues and instructions while your game guide is in the escape room with a live video feed of the escape room, acting as your eyes, ears, hands, and your feet. Your team then works together to decipher puzzles and escape in under 60 minutes. My team and I did this a few weeks ago, and we ended up escaping with eight minutes to go. But what I loved about it was just our communication as a team and going through the clues and succeeding was so fun. And there were so many laughters and just it was a huge morale boost for us. And we just really enjoyed it. And now for a limited time, my listeners can get 10% off the escape game. Only when you go to theescapegame.com forward slash podcast so don't wait that's the escape game.com slash podcast to get 10 percent off now back to the episode so if we know that companies like sears fail due to poor leadership it kind of really begs the question of like why don't we have better leaders and you posed this question early in the book i think chapter two if i remember right how do you answer that question i know you dove into answering this question, what did you come up with? There's a number of factors, and it's one that, you know, me and I mean, other, many others have, have really tried to tackle, right? I mean, John Gardner, who has written extensively on leadership and in his book on leadership, which is a phenomenal volume on thinking of leadership, you know, this was 1990 when he asked the question, why don't we have better leadership? That's where the, the chapter title was inspired by. And he, you know, and he says uh, that, you know, we complain, we express our disappointment, often our outrage, but no answer emerges. And, you know, the leadership, you know, the, the, the research that, that's, been, that's been happening 
thing really reflects the fact that the world in which leaders lead has become more complex. We know that. I mean, certainly over the last year, we've lived that with uh, with a global pandemic. And so that that's a challenge. The task of being a leader has become more complex. We've just lived that now as now we're having to lead virtually. And as we're starting to re-enter, the leadership task will continue to be more complex. You may have this hybrid workplace where you'll have some people in an office, you'll have some people that'll never be in an office and working you know, from their homes, and then you'll have some people coming in a few days a week, some people coming in uh, are staying at home a few days a week. So for a leader, that adds a level of complexity that they have to manage, and, and there's an ambiguity. Um, the demands and the pressures are quite a lot on leaders. You, you, you know, Gallup has done research you know, that finds a, a significant percentage of leaders are actively disengaged in their roles, and you know, that, that's a real risk because if your leaders are disengaged, what do you think is going to happen? to your employees, most likely they'll be disengaged. And their research has found that 70% of the variance on employee engagement can be attributed to the manager. Some would say maybe that number's a little high, but it's, it's, it's up there, right? Um, and we don't do a great job in really preparing leaders for the leadership roles. As I said before, you know, you ask most leaders, how do they get in? By accident. That's not a great way to to start a strong career as a leader, and there are problems in how leaders have been developed. So many leaders are just simply underprepared uh, for their roles. Leadership development is is underwhelming, and and so that's all the stuff that you know my teams and I over the years have really been trying to address: is how do we make this better so that we can help leaders be at their best, so they can have the greatest impact to their employees and to their companies and to you know, the organizations they work for. I pulled out this quote that I thought was fascinating. You said you carry around a notebook with you wherever you go. And I think you said you had like 15 years worth of like notes. And you said when in this this topic about accountability, you, you wrote that quote, I realized that the problem companies were facing was about leadership accountability. Organizations have too many people in leadership roles who didn't fully appreciate or understand what it meant to be a leader. End quote. And so that is an interesting statement to me because it's like, to your point, people, whether they are really good at being a contributor level role and then they get into a leadership role, they do it for more money, whatever it may be, they enter this leadership role without really fully appreciating what it means to be a leader. So my question to you is how do we get those people to understand what it means to be a leader, what the behaviors are, what it means to be accountable? Like it seems like a big job that needs to be done up front. Well, it, it's a big job, but it's not um, an impossible job. And and so in the last four chapters of uh, my book, Accountable Leaders, I, I really write those chapters for the CEO and the head of HR and the senior executive team, because ultimately they have an accountability in addition to being accountable leaders at a personal level, they have an accountability to the leaders of their organization to really support their success. And so the first step is they've got to make leadership accountability a priority. They have to make sure that they are setting the tone, that they, you know, think about it. Um, And so in that chapter, I very clearly lay out, in fact, even the role of the board in 
and what the board has to pay attention to to making sure accountability, leadership accountability is strong in the company on, on the board in which they serve, uh, what the CEO needs to do, what the senior executive needs to do, and what the head of HR needs to do because the head of HR uh, has just a pivotal role. HR leaders uh, are increasingly becoming more and more critically important in really driving the success of their companies, both from a talent and leadership standpoint. But it begins with them understanding that they are leaders themselves. And that's not always an idea that uh, I find HR teams fully appreciate. So number one, you got to make it a, a priority in your company. Number two, you've got to really create a clear set of leadership expectations by creating a custom leadership contract for your company. And so in the book, I pretty much map out the methodology that we use to do that anytime an organization wants our help to do that. That really says what's critical to your company. You know, as you think about your business context, if you look out over the next three to five years, think about your business strategy and start extrapolating what's going to be critical and how your leaders are going to step up. And then you really start articulating these expectations in very simple, clear language in five or six, maybe no more than seven expectations. That's my preference. Not necessarily is not the case. If you look at Amazon, Amazon has 14 leadership principles that they're known for. That actually in many ways, is Amazon's leadership contract. Uh, they've made it ex you know, really, really explicitly clear what they expect of their leaders. And in fact, when you read it, you can clearly get a sense of how they've driven uh, this culture that is you know, very aggressive, very ambitious. Uh, they've made it very clear. This is what we aspire to, and this is how we expect leaders, uh, and in their case, even employees to behave. It may not be for everyone, but that's exactly what they want. They want to align with a group of people who have that same passion and, and share that, that aspiration for the kind of company that they want to create. So you kind of articulate that and make that really, really clear. And then you need a formal process to kind of communicate cascade it. And I always suggest, actually, like you and your team did, create a contract that leaders have to read and they've got to decide, am I prepared to sign this? <laughs> right. Because what we have found is when we do that in companies, there are a few leaders that then kind of look at the expectations and go, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. I got to come clean. You know what? Uh, I kind of took this on when you gave it to me a few years ago, but the reality is it's not, it's not me. You know, can I go back and be an engineer? Can I go back and be that top salesperson? You know, can I go back and be the analyst or the accountant or whatever the area of expertise is? And I actually think that's a noble decision that we have to respect when someone does it. And, and we need more people who are courageous enough to do that. The next step is, is the toughest one. This is where you now need to do the hard work uh, as an organization to support leaders who are struggling in their roles. Because just because you've, they've signed the contract doesn't mean they've got the capabilities they need to be successful. So you've got to support them there. The other thing you've got to do, I believe, is you have to demonstrate zero tolerance for leaders who behave in a toxic way. Because if you, you know, if you keep those leaders in your organization, not only will they, you know, damage your culture, but now you send a mixed message to everybody. You know, you've got this wonderful leadership contract that's, that's inspiring, and then you got leaders behaving in the complete opposite way, and now 
you know, now you've just eroded any confidence or credibility that you have. And then the final step is you've got to find ways for leaders to connect with one another across the organization to build a sense of community, build a strong leadership culture. And then that's what the last four chapters of the book maps out. And it's got examples of companies who have done this work uh, and have had, you know, good long-term success uh, with it. Your comment about just because you have a contract doesn't mean people are going to not automatically have the capabilities or the behaviors that match the contract, even if they agree to it. So one of the components that you wrote in the book was holding people accountable really comes down to increasing your leader's ability to have tough conversations. And I fully agree with that. But that's a skill set that is hard. Uh, I mean, it comes with experience, I guess. But how do we develop that muscle inside of our leaders to have those tough conversations, to hold others accountable? It's like, you agreed to this. It was in our leadership contract but you're not doing it. Like, how do we, how do we have those conversations? Well, you know, I, I think in, in some ways, and, and this is a chronic problem everywhere. Um, so my research where leaders really struggle is in peer-to-peer accountability. Mm. You know, we, we sometimes have an easier time, not so much, but it's sometimes easier. Like if Brandon, you're my manager, you can sit me down as my manager to say, Hey Vince, you're not, you're not doing your job. That That's a little easier, but there's a lot of leaders who wimp out on those conversations too. A lot easier than in teams though. Like if you're in a group of, five or six, that's hard to bring those things up. Yeah. And then uh, if you and I are peers, so you're running marketing, I'm running sales, little, little harder to have those discussions. And in fact, that's the lowest rated item on this community of leaders survey that I have in the book that we see globally. Every company struggles with peer-to-peer feedback and accountability, even really, really, you know, companies with really strong cultures. Now, the other thing I've learned, which is fascinating, I, I spoke at a conference years ago and and uh, one of the participants was the head of HR of a large financial services company. And she said, you know, we, we doubled down on, on I, and I forgot which model they used. It really wasn't important. But they, they did this sort of difficult conversations, tough conversations training for all their managers. And they said it didn't move the dial at all. Really? Yeah, which was staggering to me. It's like, wow, you made that massive investment. And I knew the program they had was an exceptional program. So, you know, what happened? And what I've learned is, and it's why, you know, the four terms of the leadership contract are important, is is that you've got to get at the mindset of a leader to kind of help them. Those kind of programs get at the skill set, but you got to help them understand why it's even important that you said it. You actually have tough conversations. That you have to understand that it's your obligation as a leader to do that, because if you don't, there's a price you pay personally, your team and your organization. In the book, in the leadership contract, I I call it the hard work rule that as leaders, we fail to appreciate that when we avoid tough conversations or giving candid feedback, aggressively managing a poor performer, we really don't understand how it weakens us weakens that person, weakens our team, and weakens the organization. But on the flip side, if you have the courage to tackle those tough things and make progress, even a little bit of progress, it just takes you to another level. And and oftentimes, I would say that I find a lot of organizations and a lot of leaders and teams are stuck because there's one or two uh, really thorny, tough issues that everyone knows about but no one seems to have the courage to have the discussion. And what my teams have found is when, as facilitators, if they're able to help a team have a conversation like that, they immediately get a breakthrough. They're no longer the team they were like 30 minutes ago, because now all of a sudden this thing hasn't been weighing them down, hasn't been getting in their way. And that's what leaders need to understand. And I find that once they really get that as a business issue, 
then they're more prepared to get moving on those tough conversations. And then they realize the more you start having tough conversations, they get easier. Now, in my leadership contract field guide, I provide a kind of an eight-step process. Four of the steps are actually in preparing for the conversation. So you spend half of your time preparing and then half of your time actually having the conversations. And I think a lot of times leaders just jump in thinking they can wig it, and that's never good. And then the first step is really thinking how much you think about your obligation and think about how much you care about that person, care about your team, care about your company. Begin there, and then you realize you have to have the discussion. Because what I've learned in my career and in my life, the people who from time to time came to me and said, Vince, we got to have a talk. <laughs> we, I, I, there's some feedback I got to give you. While in the moment, I didn't particularly like the conversation. Of course not. In hindsight, I realized, holy cow, that person really cared about me yes. and my success to the extent that they had the courage to have the discussion. Because the conversation is tough. We just got to acknowledge it. It's tough for the manager having the conversation. It's tough for the person uh, receiving the conversation. The issue can be ambiguous and, and challenging. So it's just tough. But avoiding them doesn't help. No, it does not. Let's bring this conversation full circle and end with this. Uh, so we talked about Sears earlier. They were disrupted, had probably not accountable leaders, all those things. So take Sears. If they had an accountable leadership group and they're in the same situation they're in, which Amazon comes around, Walmart pivots, Target pivots, all these things, how would having an accountable leadership group help organizations like Sears who were challenged by disruptions and innovations, external threats, economic crashes, all those things. What, what do you think? I think it begins by really understanding how the context was changing for Sears or any company, right? You got to begin there because the expectations are not generic. They are very specific from company to company based on what they're having to deal with. So, you know, you've got to have real clarity about the context we're going to be leading in over the next two to three years. From there, there's real clarity on what's our business strategy to help us drive success. And then, as I said, from there, really extrapolating what does this mean and how leaders need to step up. And then what you need to do is as I said before, you got to communicate that. You got to cascade that. You got to get really leaders to embrace that. You got to make sure that this contract is embedded in a few organizational practices like performance management and whatnot. So people see it alive in the organization. And then I think the other thing is you've got to rally leaders together, uh, you know, in a sense of community. So they're they are working together. When you're trying to drive that kind of transformation, it puts people under tremendous pressure. And if you haven't really got a strong leadership culture, you're going to get very traditional things that happen. You're going to get departments fighting against one another, silos fighting against one another, departments jockeying for ego and prestige and position. And that's not a good recipe for success when you're trying to save a company. That's kind of that focus on accountability, how it becomes critical, but you've got to define it, make it clear, communicate it, cascade it, hold others accountable to it. Those who are unwilling or have decided not for me, then they've got an alternate path, then push forward. 
My guest today has been Dr. Vince Molinaro. He's the New York Times bestselling author of The Leadership Contract and now the new book, Accountable Leaders. Vince, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you, get your new book, anything that you want to point people to? I just, I've really enjoyed having you on the show. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks so much, Brandon. Yeah, so really easy. Uh, the company website is drvincemolinaro.com. Uh, and also people can track me on LinkedIn. Uh, the books are available on, on Amazon and other booksellers as well. I really do appreciate, Brandon, you making time for this discussion, and I wish you continued success. And if you can dig up that leadership contract that you and your colleagues created, send it over, because I'd love to see it. I will absolutely do that. (laughs) It's been a pleasure, Vince. Thank you. Thanks, Brandon. 